0: This is Confluence, Confluence. where great ideas flow together.
1: This is Confluence, where great ideas flow together. The podcast of the Graduate School of the University of Montana. I'm Ashby Kinch, Dean of the Graduate School. On Confluence, we travel down the tributaries of wisdom and beauty that enrich the soil of knowledge on our beautiful mountain campus.
0: Um, So today, what we're going to do is we want to provide kind of a formula for working with your graduate students within this inquire, support, and connect paradigm. So we're going to give you kind of a basic foundation for mentorship, we'll um, talk about mental health prevalence among college students, general population, what mental health difficulties might show up like, what are the risk factors, signs and symptoms. And then, again, we'll give you some more information within this employer support connect
1: model. You just heard the voice of Holly Schleicher, a licensed clinical psychologist with a specialty in integrative behavioral health. Holly is a co-PI on a collaborative grant from the National Science Foundation, Mental Health Opportunities for Professional Empowerment in STEM. That's a mouthful, so we call it M-HOPES. I'm Ashby Kinch, Dean of the Graduate School, and Institutional PI on the MHOPS grant. The grant has a simple goal, to elevate the importance of maintaining the mental health and well-being of our graduate students. Faculty are crucial to that well-being. We know from surveys conducted at UM and our partner campuses, Montana Tech and MSU Billings, that graduate students see faculty as their main source of personal support and professional counsel. So it's not surprising that when mental health concerns spring up, faculty will often be the first to notice. Our grant team has developed a three-part training to help faculty navigate that process, which they have delivered here at UM over the last three years. And we now have an asynchronous online course, a link is in the show notes, that we are hoping faculty both at UM and beyond will register for and complete. In this episode of Confluence, we hear more from Holly, a conversation that focuses on some of the core ideas of the training, the importance of consistency and communication with graduate students, the role curiosity plays in developing a good rapport with a student in crisis, and the valuable role that faculty play in cultivating student well-being. We hope you learn a lot from this episode, the first in a series of three, focusing on mental health support for graduate students. See the Confluence page and show notes for links to our episodes with Brian Cochran and Annie Belcourt. We hope this episode inspires you to play a positive role in building a community of care wherever you are on your journey. Welcome to Confluence, where the river is always with us. So Holly, just tell us a little bit about your work and what you do. Mm -hmm. What are you trained to Mm -hmm. do? What's your work in the community? And what's your involvement on campus in
0: these research projects? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking. So I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, and I got my training here at UM in the psychology department. Really, kind of the thread of my work has been in health psychology and the mind-body connection. So in graduate school, I worked with chronic pain, and I did my dissertation with um, actually, integrating departments with integrating public health and psychology. Um, we put together a pilot study of tobacco cessation treatment for depressed college students. Um, And then when I graduated, I went to um, the University of Wisconsin for my internship and fellowship. And there I had the opportunity to work in integration, both in primary care and in a major medical hospital. And that's, I would say, where I really kind of... Fell in love with um, behavioral health integration, and had the opportunity to work in you know these gold standard institutions for integrating behavioral health into medical settings. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and, of course, that's yeah. how I came across mm-hmm. your work. That's how I got connected to you, and yep. um, we brought you into the team that was developing the m grant because of this mm-hmm. integrated behavioral health model. Yes. Um, tell me a little bit more. I mean, for me, yes. the way I understand mm-hmm. the analogy is that we're kind of thinking about professors in a research context mm-hmm. as being an analogy to a doctor in a medical setting where mm-hmm. we're not expecting a doctor in a medical setting to deliver mm-hmm. Uh, clinical behavioral health intervention, mm-hmm. but we it would be best it'd be most efficient and effective if they recognized signs, had simple tools. And then could follow up with the patient and refer.
0: Yep. And we're kind of
1: thinking of that same model on the academic context.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I got brought in because of this, um, my my background with integration. And, you know, in a medical setting, that looks like bringing behavioral health providers right into the medical setting at the highest level of integration. Your working right alongside each other. You're not on a different floor. You're not in separate buildings. But the behavioral health provider is is, is right there working alongside the nurses and in, in primary care providers. Or, of course, this can happen in specialty clinics or hospital settings as well. Um, and, yes, exactly. We don't um, necessarily expect faculty members or medical professionals to be skilled to deliver the same level of um You know, assessment or treatment that we would as trained psychologists. However, um, we want to provide access to care. So, I think that for me is is the kind of the the shining star here is providing more access to care for um, our whole population. Whether you're talking about a medical population or a student population, Um, so by having a provider, you know, on site, you're providing more access for folks who wouldn't access. Mental health care, otherwise. Right. So when we're talking about the hopes grant and look and thinking about um, behavioral health on campus. Um, it is providing education to faculty about how to recognize the signs and symptoms of behavioral health problems, how to communicate about these, how to offer some resources, you know, maybe how to offer some kind of standard well being check ins or um, advice, perhaps. Yeah,
1: and that's so important to this project because what we're trying to come up with is a model to. Um, Again, destigmatize mental health yes. as a topic, mm-hmm. um, and of course, you know, part of the challenge here is we know faculty are seeing more mental health and behavioral health problems among their students. Mm-hmm. They're reporting that, yep. but on the other hand, they also feel um, ill-equipped, mm-hmm. and, and they're not not even wanting to open that door. So our training is in some ways about just making them more comfortable in asking mm-hmm. certain kinds of questions as easy as check-ins about mm-hmm. well-being you know have you exercised and yeah. how are you feeling and and finding ways to destigmatize that conversation by mm-hmm. modeling it yourself you mm-hmm. know i haven't gotten out to exercise but i'm going tonight you know what you have you been up to so yeah. that you're bringing the the threshold down a little bit to have those kinds of conversations
0: mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And I like that idea of this modeling and so in our workshops we are talking with faculty about their well-being and their men- we're checking in with them and having them think about what's my emotional response to this student or what's how am I taking care of myself, you know, in a in a system that might that might be stressed or um, yeah. so um, both thinking about themselves and about their students.
1: I think that's so important because you know, a lot of the faculty we're hearing from, especially in the STEM uh, area, they do want to be able to refer quickly. A lot of times they just want to know, who can I call, who can I send the student to? But yeah. some of that work that needs to be done is actually right there in the room. Mm-hmm. It's about the relationship between the mentor and yeah. the mentee. It's about the health uh, and mental health and positive behavioral dispositions of those two people mm-hmm. as they work together often over years.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think this is where, again, looking at this, you know, kind of the medical provider and the patient and the faculty member and the student, there's some overlap there because typically most people go to their primary care provider for their mental health care. Um, You know, research shows about half of the population with um, mental health problems go to their primary care provider because they feel comfortable there. They have a relationship there. It's non-stigmatizing. They don't have to find a whole new provider. There's that trust built in and I think we can see that in faculty relationships too especially at that graduate level where you're working closely together you're seeing that person multiple times a week you're able to recognize signs and symptoms you notice changes in behavior and hopefully there's some level of trust or relationship already built um, so that you can be a person, again, that's that's not meeting all of their needs, but is able to respond yeah. when you're concerned.
1: But on the, on the student side of that, mm-hmm. and we're seeing a little bit of this in our survey data, mm-hmm. there's nervousness,
0: mm-hmm. right? Because
1: there's yeah. the stigma of vulnerability around mm-hmm. showing a weakness or mm-hmm. suggesting you're not, you know, ready for the challenge. And yes. STEM education, especially at the graduate level, is intense. You know, yeah. intense deadline pressure, intense, you know, funding pressure coming in. So a lot of this is about faculty being aware enough that they have to kind of open that door because they can't expect the student to open it for them.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, there is there's some power differentials here again in both settings, medical and in a faculty setting and students are they're being evaluated all the time and so I can, I can understand that hesitancy and so that's why when we think about um, kind of system wide changes so not just between that faculty and student but how are we responding as a university system or how are we setting up the conditions for checking in about well-being um, being more transparent about mental health problems that's going to help support that and we see that in medical settings, too. When we have behavioral health providers integrated, we're sending a message. We are approaching this as a team, You know, your whole self is welcome here. Um, So that is where I think we have to think about that system level as well.
1: Yeah, we we ended up settling on this um, title, Nurture New STEM Scholars. Mm -hmm. But at one point we were calling it the Holistic Mentoring Project, right? And and that's a key concept in your work Mm -hmm. that you just use that term. That's why kind of picking it up. Our faculty, again, might be tempted because of their field and and the focus in STEM field on productivity and output Mm -hmm. to compartmentalize. They might be tempted to compartmentalize the intellectual abilities and the research abilities from these other things. But one of the mantras in our project is, mental health, mental well-being mm-hmm. is a resource for research. In other words, mm-hmm. it doesn't yes. get done unless you've got that uh, under mm-hmm. underway. And the reverse is true as well, that that when things reach a crisis point, mm-hmm. productivity mm-hmm. goes down. Mm-hmm. So we also we absolutely. need to kind of marry those two objectives mm-hmm. a little bit more.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we think about mental health, we're talking about emotions. We're talking about thoughts, feelings, behaviors, motivations, we're talking about expectations. And if you think about all of those, that is inherent in in our work that we do. So graduate student, if they're not as motivated or if they're bogged down with a lot of negative thinking or they're feeling really frightened or anxious all the time, that's gonna affect their work, that's gonna affect their productivity. Um, So we have to look at that, at all of those components. And the
1: faculty might see that first because they're working up close. They might Mm -hmm. see those signs and, Mm -hmm. and we're trying to kind of train them to be a little bit more attentive to those personal dimensions that might be interfering
0: Yep, exactly. Yep. So if they notice a change and, you know, a student isn't turning in projects as planned or according to a deadline or they're not making movement on a a thesis or a dissertation or um, they're showing up late or they're more withdrawn, um, faculty are in a perfect position to be able to tune into that.
1: And get curious about why. In other Uh, words, not immediately go to like this... You know, the student's a slacker, or mm-hmm. you know, they're they're mm-hmm. not meeting our standards. But be, mm-hmm. get curious about what might be yeah. going on, other than not being motivated. You know, for the work itself, or something like yeah. that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that fits with this um, kind of paradigm we've set up for the workshops, which is the inquire, support, and connect paradigm. And that first part is inquire. And you know, I think when someone is acting differently than expected or we're frustrated with productivity, we probably do jump in our minds to, hey, what's wrong with you? What's going on? I want this to be different. And we get stressed. So that's where our own emotions come in. Sure. And so we're really encouraging you know figure out what's happening in yourself and then how can you inquire openly with the student you know i'm curious about what's happening for you here i'm curious about this part of you i'm curious about this part of your life that makes it difficult to to, you know, get to class on time or get to our lab meetings on time. Yeah,
1: but that, that's a way of anchoring that discussion in a more affirmative, positive mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. engagement rather than a negative defensive engagement.
0: Exactly. Well,
1: one of the fun things, and this is a good segue into this that you all do in the workshops are these play acting mm-hmm. role scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- what's that all about? Why, why have faculty w- play out these communication mm-hmm. scenarios? where they have to be both, right? They have to be both yes. the student and the, and the professor.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just seeing you. Um, I was hoping you might have some time for us to catch up on how your project is going. Is this a good time? Sure, I haven't been able to get the results written up and I know I was supposed to do so in March. I'm so sorry.
1: I'm guessing you have a lot on your plate right now. How can I help?
0: Yeah, well, um, the class I'm teeing for, anatomy and physiology, has really taken up a lot of my time. I'm developing new lab quizzes for the students, and it seems like I'm working 10 hours a day just on that. I'm really sorry I haven't gotten around to writing up the results.
1: That class is tough for everyone, Uh, but I think I can help you. I've got a number of quizzes that I can
0: Yeah, you know, I just I think that we can we can talk about these skills. And then there's putting them into practice. And for all of us, when we have the opportunity to really practice that in real life, or in these kind of mock settings, um, it I think it shows us how difficult that can be and what comes up for each of us. So I watched one of the dyads in one of our recent workshops, and it was great because when one faculty member was was role-playing themselves and then the student, and then I could check in with the student, um, which was actually a faculty member, right. um, you know, how did that feel? Like, how did that delivery feel to you? And mm-hmm. they could say, you know, that felt a little intense or I felt a little judged so you can get feedback from the other person. Um, you And then the other faculty member was able to kind of tune into, oh yeah, this is what, what I was feeling inside. Yeah. I was feeling pretty frustrated. What does it feel
1: like to be on the other side of it? Exactly. And, 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 and have that mental cognitive switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. What has been,
1: you know, from your perspective, one of the most interesting things? I mean, you gave a good example there of you watching a, a, a dynamic, but what have the yeah. faculty brought to the table? What kinds of problems and issues, and and how has that shaped the way you deliver the workshops?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I I think it's it's just been a real pleasure getting to know the faculty, and that the faculty are coming in really eager to learn about how to communicate with students, um, how to learn about burnout and well-being. Um, So I've just really enjoyed that piece of it, and Um, that, you know, they're coming in with a lot of questions about difficult scenarios, you know, students that have been struggling for a longer period of time, um, scenarios where maybe there's a little bit more resistance to getting help or feedback. So we've really had to kind of think about how to um maybe layering is the best way you know kind of where you start and then where you go from here with different responses so we've had to kind of um provide a little bit more of that dynamic in in the moment um training with the faculty given what they'll bring up
1: mm-hmm. yeah and i guess uh, to dig into that a little bit mm-hmm. i think one of the things that working with the three of you and other professionals in mental health space across counseling and and clinical Mm -hmm. psychology that I've learned is something like, you know, these are not solve problems. You don't come into that conversation and walk out with a solution that you have Mm -hmm. to be in it for the recursive iterative conversation Mm -hmm. that it is. And so you were just talking about layers. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, you might have a student who is dealing with something very complicated, and, and the, the, you're going to have to peel it back one by one. You're mm-hmm. not going to get there all at once, right? And, yes. and I think that's a tough thing. I, I, I think any faculty member um, wants to pose a solution, but I think it's mm-hmm. particularly probably the case with STEM faculty members that they want a sort of designed solution. Yes, <laughs> you know, yes. Let's figure it out. Let's get it done, right? <laughs> Definitely. And some of the work that has to be done is actually kind of just this recursive, get in the trenches, work it out over time.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, The really positive part about doing the role plays as a group is that um, a lot of the feedback from, you know, our initial role plays is, I think I went to problem solving too soon. And I mean, just for them to be able to recognize that they don't have to get it right the first time or second time or 10th time. But just to recognize, hey, I think I went to this too soon. I didn't listen enough. I didn't ask enough questions. I think that's been really powerful for faculty. Yeah. And really thinking about this as a um, your relationship building with the student and that there needs to be a lot of connection in order for that change to play out over time. You know, But, yes, I think as a society we often – you know, we want to go in, and I've got a tool, and I know that this tool can fix this problem, mm. um, so let's use it. But oftentimes, that's the wrong tool. Like, that that approach is not the right tool to use.
1: Yeah, and but then the flip side is, and now I'm thinking it out loud, I, I don't want to throw my STEM colleagues under the no. bus. Some of my STEM colleagues are actually the most patient um, mm-hmm. people I know in terms of— um, Sort of recognizing, I mean, science itself is an iterative process. Yes, There's a lot true. of failure involved. So if you can kind of activate that part of the STEM experience, uh-huh. right, which is frustration and meeting encounters and, and getting around them and being patient, the, some of the virtues of being a STEM kind of a can apply over here. Uh-huh. But you have to activate them in a way that also is connected to these other skills, communication, uh-huh. responsiveness, certain degree uh-huh. of empathy. Empathy, for
0: sure, Yeah.
1: Well, so anything else? What What of revelations, uh, ideas, thoughts you've had as a deliverer of the workshop? Have yeah. you gotten much out of it, you know, professionally, oh,
0: personally? Definitely. You know, um, one of the workshops that we deliver is on burnout and, and on the flip side, well-being and how to enhance well-being. And um, I think this is, you know, information that all of us, especially – in this post-COVID world that we live in, can benefit from that, and that's been of interest of, of an interest of mine. Starting um, back when I worked in a medical setting, and you saw the time pressures on providers, and um, you saw the. Um, you know, these short appointment times, people back to back, not always having all of the resources that they need. Um, so you saw the burnout there for sure. So the faculty members, you know, really recognizing that they're going through, they're they're holding and carrying a lot too. And there's a lot of system demands and pressure. Um, pr- they, they have their own productivity, right, sure. which are often tied to the students, which Absolutely. are, it, you know, makes it quite complicated. And so that
1: is kind of a unique, I don't say unique, but that's a a feature of STEM education, you know, that these grants professors Mm -hmm. bring in these grants, a lot of money, but the people delivering are the graduate graduate students. students. And so there is a a pressure there that that especially a junior STEM faculty member Mm -hmm. is carrying into their lab. Mm -hmm. So just being aware of that is probably a pretty big change. Um, you know, of, of perspective to just mm-hmm. maybe hold off the part that's personal and allow that student to not feel it, you know, as a direct.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I think there, there has to be a bit of a buffer there, yeah. right? Good, that's the best Because word, Because anytime we put pressure on someone to perform better, they're likely not going to. You know, that's yeah. going to create more anxiety, and performance will go down. Yeah, and
1: the pressure to perform is is the pressure to perform, but then don't add to that the pressure to deliver for somebody exactly. else. Right. In other words, right. they're also uh-huh. you know uh-huh. feeling the pressure of somebody else's pressure.
0: Yes. Know, yes. You know, secondhand or right. Know.
1: Derivative pressure. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So, in doing these workshops, you know, I've been able to dig into the literature on well being more, which has been really enjoyable. And um, during COVID, I started doing some presentations for medical providers on. Mental health, well-being, and coping with all the stressors of COVID, and so it's been nice to be able to take some of that and adapt it to faculty, um, and then also just kind of learn about kind of again these layers of well-being. You know, so we have kind of our basic, you know, meeting some of our basic needs like our um, nutrition and and um, sleep and getting some exercise, um, and then if we kind of go a little bit deeper into that, um, the Center for Healthy Minds, which is out of the University of Wisconsin-Madison, they have these four pillars of well-being, which are awareness, social connection, insight, and purpose. So awareness, which is um, a heightened, flexible, attentiveness to your surroundings, and that can be your external surroundings, and that can also be your internal experience. And that's exactly what we did in that mindful pause, was just bring a little bit of attention to your body and your breath. Um, we can also do that by noticing, like we could look outside and notice that the sun is shining, um, that there are some clouds in the skies, that the, you know some of the trees look green, for example, that would be another way to be attentive. It might be in your mentoring relationship, right? It might be attentive to what a student looks like when they come into your office or how you feel when a student comes into your office or what happens to your um, physiology as you're meeting with a student if you become more stressed or more relaxed. Um, Another pillar is... And I think really um, having these discussions around how does your, you know, your values, what matters to you, kind of your purpose in your work, um, being able to tie that to also working with your students and how that's important to them, too. I think it's an opportunity to get to know yourself and get to know your students in a much deeper way and a more meaningful way, right? There's a lot of meaning and purpose and being insightful about your emotions and being aware of of your emotions, you know, there's there's a lot of meaning to that. So yeah. I think there's the potential um, for some, you know, depth in those connections. Yeah.
1: And I think, I mean, you know, to loop back to your point about the pandemic, that's something we all experienced together. Mm-hmm. You know, we had different responses to it, but we have we've kind of collectively gone through this difficult time. Um, it's made us more aware of financial challenges, um, you know, personal challenges. Um, You know, we we all hope that we're good enough to kind of relativize that and recognize even if we're struggling, maybe somebody else is struggling more. Mm -hmm. And that's really, you know, part of uh, a kind of moral and ethical awareness of of what you can bring to someone even when you're hurt and and hurting. Um, I'm rambling a little bit, but I'm kind of trying to get back (laughs) to this point because I think – We know that our graduate students um, aren't being paid enough. Mm -hmm. We know that they're, they're, especially in the Missoula market, but this I'm sure is happening all over the country. Um, You know, the housing costs are up, cost of living is up. There's a lot of external -hmm. external pressures. Um, And we can't solve all those. We can't Mm -hmm. solve all of them at the one, even if we are aware of them or trying to ameliorate them, we can't solve them. So the things we can solve, the things we can control are the things that fall in this wellness uh, initiative, mm-hmm. right? They are the the sleep and the nutrition, the basics, mm-hmm. the core things. Mm-hmm. And some of the literature we're finding um, on the grant is that some of the long-term studies that have been done of um, PhD students. Again, this isn't the ones that dropped out, right? This is the ones that complete. But those that complete look back at their time. They talk about social connection. They talk about um, the the culture of the program that Mm -hmm. they came from. Mm -hmm. They don't talk about, even when they're talking about positives and negatives, even when negatives are brought up, they don't talk about money. Mm -hmm. They talk more about this mentor that was a real pain or Mm -hmm. the external factors Mm -hmm. tend to be much smaller um, Than the internal factors or the external factors that have to do with culture are are the ones that they really zero in on. Yeah. And so I think that backs up some of what you're talking about, this sort of social connection, mm-hmm. uh, you know, awareness, social connection, insight. Mm-hmm. And what was the purpose? And purpose. Right. Yes. So a lot of STEM faculty member will have a strong purpose and uh-huh. they know why they're doing it. Um, and, and same with the students, but they want to connect that to values and relationships too. Mm-hmm. They want that social connection
0: mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah, And I think that um I love that uh, that feedback from the research because I think it just supports who we are as you know we are um we are social beings, right? We are all seeking for connection. That's an important thing. And so if you have, within your system if there's a lot of discord in a department or um, there's not opportunities for graduate students to get together. I think a lot of graduate students during the pandemic really struggled with this. They didn't have their cohort or support. They couldn't go out and celebrate. I mean, going out and celebrating a dissertation or a thesis or comprehensive exams, I mean, those are really important for, you know, Completing the stress cycle that comes up in all of those really yeah. stressful as
1: the great pieces. American basketball philosopher Jalen Rose says, more champagne in the campaign.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Got to get the champagne in the campaign. Yeah.
1: Well, and and partly um, what we're finding out is, um, you know, the work we're doing on the faculty side of the grant. You know, there's some work on the on the student side mm-hmm. of the grant. What we're talking about here today is on the faculty side of the grant, and it's where the two meet. Mm-hmm. is where culture is formed. And we yeah. do have some, some, you know, small grant uh, uh, funding opportunities for, um, you know, faculty and students to pitch ideas to kind of spend time mm-hmm. together in these, in these informal, non-academic contexts to kind of That's reinforce great. those social connections. Mm-hmm. And one uh, STEM program um, bought, or I, I bought them on the grant, but we bought ice cleats, um, you know, for listeners, this wouldn't make a sen- much sense to if you're from the South, right? But um, if you're at University of Montana, there's ice everywhere uh, in the winter, especially okay. winter like we've been having. But there are also beautiful trails right outside mm-hmm. the door. And so they're taking uh, faculty and graduate students are coming together in little groups of six, seven, eight, getting these ice cleats. And going up uh, Mount Sentinel awesome. uh, in the heart of winter, and so yeah. get you outside. It turns yeah. a negative into a positive. Mm-hmm. It, it mm-hmm. gets you doing something together, where there's some problem solving and some support, and everyone's looking out for each other. It just works on every level as a great kind of bonding activity.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we're
1: hoping we're going to see more of that kind yeah. of creative thinking about ways to get people out of their um, out of their habits, you yeah, and exactly. just new, interesting, uh-huh. good habits.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. <laughs>
1: well anything else you want to talk about about you know anything that's come up for you in the in the workshop trainings changes you you maybe mm-hmm. even the next time you do it mm-hmm. uh, you're on the second iteration yeah. this year
0: yep we're on the second iteration you know i think what we have recognized is the need for some follow-ups with the faculty that we have started the workshops with so i feel like in a lot of ways we are providing um, really good information and we're getting them thinking. And I feel like we could go to a next level of consultation around difficulties that arise, really building those communication skills. So I think that is one area, exciting area that we could expand to is, um, you know, maybe some booster sessions, for example. People have had time to go out and practice some skills and try some things differently. What are what do they need? All of these are skills, right? All of them are things that we need to practice, right. things that we need to work on. Reflective listening and showing empathy and um, checking in with our emotions, building well being plans. Um, those are all things that. Um, take practice. Yeah, so I was going to say,
1: you got to go out and do them. You got to go yeah, out and you, do them. You, you get the abstract and, idea, but yep. now you've got to go.
0: Yeah, execute. and you have to do it over and over again. Yeah. Really. Yeah. So, um, you know, these aren't easy skills to learn. Um, they might seem simple, you know, in you know when you're first talking about them, um, and in the moment. And this is another reason why I think the role playing is so important. In the moment, you see how difficult that is, you mm-hmm. know. So, um, and then
1: d- difficult yet at another level when it's real. When it's real, yeah. <laughs> and all and of a sudden, you're yeah, all the emotions, all, yeah, are there your body and your stomach, and, and you've got yeah, that pit, and now you've got to yeah. talk to someone about something really hard. Right, yeah, right. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, I think we'd like to do a little bit. You know, I think we'd like more time. Yeah. Um, but you know, time is time is tight for everyone. So yeah, um, one of
1: your workshops is called.
0: Yeah, you don't have time for this workshop.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very glib, very funny, you know, very self-referential. Right,
0: right, right. So, you know, I think there's that. And, um, you know, I think we've learned the more interactive they are, I think the more fun they are for us as the workshop leaders and for the faculty members. And. Um, so it's really nice for us to be able to c- provide some space for them to to re- be able to reflect on what they're learning yeah. and
1: and part of like what we're doing here yeah. might might be um, will be part of um, our dissemination out to our partner institutions as we scale up mm-hmm. and what you're talking about is actually is a great segue because you know we're what you're talking about is you know. At any given institution, there are going to be people, most research institutions are going to have a clinical psychology program or, or mm-hmm. faculty that have some of that expertise. But what what we think we can provide is a really compelling training mm-hmm. and then a model for how you adapt it to your campus. And yeah. some of that might be asynchronous materials where mm-hmm. we take some of the video and, and um You know powerpoint materials but then the local context they do the follow-ups they they have people look at a one of the trainings and then gather together discuss it Mm -hmm. and practice it Mm -hmm. so because it's where that that's where the rubber meets the road is when faculty get together themselves practice some of the skills talk about cases they've experienced Mm -hmm. and and dynamically adapt that to their own context
0: yeah yeah and i think those opportunities just like we talked about you know opportunities for informal communication or informal socialization that's important for the faculty to have as well so I hope that with the with these workshops we're building that social connection too we're we're having people think about the meaning of these relationships with their students the meaning of what it is to be a faculty mentor and I think all of that is really positive for well-being um, because we know when we're feeling burnt out we're physically and emotionally exhausted, and we're more disconnected from our work and, and from the people that we work with. Yeah. So the more that we can build those connections among faculty, among students and faculty um, within, within campuses, I think that's really helpful.
1: Yeah, Wonderful. Um, that's a great place to wrap up. Okay. Thank you
0: very much. Yeah, thank you.
1: If you like what you've heard, you've got a team of talented graduate students to thank. Produced and edited by Kathleen Shannon from the M.A. Program in Journalism. Sound design with according help from Kate Lloyd from the M.F.A. Program in Media Arts. Jacob Christensen from the M.F.A. Program in Theater edits the website and works the social media magic. From Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) What? <laughs>